Okay, there was a song in Rocky Horror Picture Show called Damn It, Janet. And I think we should have a segment for every pod called Something Something Pete. Okay. Like <laughs> Pete Pays It Forward or Pete Puccio's Pleasantries. You love the peas. Pete. Yeah, Pete's Platitudes. Ooh. I think our listeners might be able to help. So if you have an idea for a name for our new segment, write to podcasts at wcsu.edu. It needs to incorporate Pete's name. And we will also name the new WCSU mascot after you if your idea is chosen. I'm going to have to fact check that last part. So for now, damn it, Pete, the Pulitzer, the Nobel Prizes, and the McCarthy Genius Awards both came out last week. And again, I'm not on either list. Were you nominated? So for, well, I don't know. Sometimes it's secret. Oh, okay. Did, did you nominate me? Uh, not this year. No, I didn't. Uh, and, you know, in addition to that, I suspect the Nobel Prizes are snobby about podcast hosts, but there is writing involved, I want to point out. Bob Dylan, who's a songwriter, got the Nobel Literature Award, right? Have we really gotten Hello? to the point where Podcast. you have to say who Bob Dylan is? Are we there? They can't just... I don't know. <laughs> Kids, Bob Dylan is a very famous songwriter, musician, who started in the 1960s and created a revolution in folk music. He's still alive and playing. You can still hear him uh, some places. Somebody I talk to on a regular basis, and I can't remember who it is, was there the night that Bob Dylan went electric? Really? I can't, oh, it's going to drive like at me the nuts. the Monterey Music Festival? Yeah, like that first Monterey show when Jazz everybody freaked something. out. Oh, yeah. And they tell the story, and I can't place it. I'll probably, I'll just that's scream it out in about 10 minutes, and it'll be funny. So, okay. Right. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> also, Pete, I want to point out that you said you would nominate this podcast for the Pulitzer Prize. So I want to find out how that's coming. Wow. I don't, I don't remember a lot of these things that you, that you seem to remember me. Uh, I should, maybe I should have my memory checked. Either that or you're a huh? liar. <laughs> damn it, Pete. <laughs> there you go. That's what it is. Yeah, we'll just call it damn it, Pete. It's just me calling you out for your nonsense. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is at WCSU, the number one podcast at Western Connecticut State University that tells you everything about WestCon. I'm Paul Steinmetz here with Pete Puccio as engineer, and we do have a great pod coming up today. It features an interview with adjunct WestCon professor Gary Skiba. He holds an MBA, he's a CPA, and he teaches accounting and taxation at WestCon. His students say he is tough but fair, and we asked him to talk about federal taxes in light of the news about President Trump paying no or little income tax for several years. So uh, we've got Professor Gary Skiba on the line, right, Pete? Yes, sir. All right, let's go to him. Uh, well, Professor Skiba, with taxation, federal taxation, especially in the news recently, uh, we thought this would be a good time to bring you on and talk to us regular people who pay taxes about uh, how we should be looking at this, 
what we should be doing now, uh, whether you think the federal taxation code can be uh, or should be modified for us and for the multi-billionaires. And uh, this, of course, is some of what you teach in your class at Westcon, isn't it? Yes, it is, most, most definitely. So thank you for having me. Yeah, we're happy to do so. So in your classes, do your students say, hey, uh, I didn't know, I, I don't take advantage of that. I mean, most of them probably don't have huge tax bills yet, but uh, is it overwhelming for a beginner in learning tax code or is it something where they uh, say, hey, now I know how to take advantage of this and get the most out of it? Well, hopefully at the beginning, at the end of the class, they're in the latter category where, um, you know, they start to understand things. Uh, at the beginning, it's a little bit overwhelming. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I usually start uh, my class and I feel like I'm teaching a civics course rather than a uh, tax course because uh, the income tax law is a law and it's uh, impacted by the legislative branch, the administrative branch, and the judicial branch of, of our government. So, you know, all, all three have, a, have an influence on it, and all three of them have very complex systems, complex mm -hmm. processes. Do you think, uh, can the tax, federal tax system be made simpler? Um, would that be a possibility? <laughs> well, uh, if it weren't for lobbyists and special interests, uh, yes, it could be. I, I, I genuinely believe that uh, it could be much, much, much more simple. And there's been things, and even though the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, the 2017 Tax Act, was um, not really tax reform, it did do some things that um, helped simplify the system. And, and one thing it did do, and I think a number of people probably realized this when they did their uh, 2018 and 2019 tax returns, is it increased the standard deduction mm -hmm. uh, by, a, by a significant amount. It fundamentally doubled it, which made both the taxpayers' job easier because they didn't have to rumble through their charitable contribution receipts and their uh, income tax bills and that kind of uh, that kind of stuff to prepare their tax return. It also made uh, the Internal Revenue Service's job a lot easier because, in you know, my experience, it's those kinds of itemized deductions that uh, you would take in lieu of the standard deduction uh, create a lot of the um, I would say it's busy work for the Internal Revenue Service because mm -hmm. it's, you know, having the taxpayer come up with all their receipts and the IRS looking at them and challenging them. So I think that, you know, an increase in the standard deduction would simplify uh, things qu quite, quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, interestingly, in Connecticut, that's one of the uh, changes that a lot of people complained about, right, because they own big houses on the coast and other places. Yep. And um, that standard deduction result increased their taxes. 
Yeah, I think what you're talking about is the uh, limitation on state and local taxes at ten thousand dollars. Right, right. And yeah, and um, yeah, that you know, if I may say so, that was a politically driven thing mm-hmm. in my mind because uh, it definitely impacts. Uh, the normally blue states, the states that have um, you know high high taxes, your New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, California, you know were the I'll call them victims were the primary victims of that uh, particular particular provision. Uh, you know, on the flip side of that, there the state and local deduction did create a prejudice against those states that use, for example, sales tax mm-hmm. uh, as a way of financing their um, their government expenditures versus property and, and uh, income taxes, which you know are the primary drivers of Connecticut's uh, income tax liability. Mm-hmm. And so New York two, and New Jersey too. Yeah, yeah. and there's, so there's two sides to that particular that particular equation. Uh, personally, if you want my personal opinion, I would probably raise the state and local, I'm sorry, uh, raise the standard deduction and eliminate pretty much all itemized deductions if, if, you know, if I were writing the, um, the, the, the tax code. Mm-hmm. Um, in Joe Biden's um, tax proposal, and this has been a proposal that the Democrats have set forth quite a bit, is to cap the benefit of itemized deductions so that um, it, right now the way it works is if somebody that's in the 37% tax bracket Mm -hmm. gets $100 of a deduction, they're saving $37. Mm -hmm. Wow. If somebody in the uh, lowest tax bracket, let's say 10%, pays that same $100, they're only getting a $10 tax benefit. So the way you know the, the the way our progressive tax system works, not only does it, in theory, tax uh, individuals' income at a higher rate, but it also means that uh, the deduction is worth more for the higher taxable income person than it is for the person in the lowest bracket. <laughs> And when you describe it that way or explain it that way, it's pretty easy to understand. But I have never heard it explained that way uh, in the media, say, or by politicians. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, well, if you read Biden, and this is a little bit uh, wonky, but if you read uh, Biden's tax proposal, uh, he caps the uh, tax benefit from itemized deductions at 28%. And I'm kind of looking over at who that would uh, be. So that would be um, people that are filing, married filing joint returns that have taxable income below about about $350,000. So it's still, you know, given, you know, giving people that, you know, the definition of middle class varies depending upon if you're in Nebraska or New Jersey. so, you know, I, I would say that somebody's making $350,000 in New York City, at least the way it was in 2019, is probably not a middle class person or just barely in the middle class versus, right. you know, some other situation. So, 
um, you know, that that cap of that benefit helps. Yeah, that's very interesting. Pete, did you have a couple of questions? The two things that I always hear come up whenever I talk to people about taxes are one, that a flat tax wouldn't work or wouldn't be fair, et cetera, et cetera. And two, that, um, you know, so, some states pay a lot more to the government and get back less in, I don't want to say rewards, but um, are, do either of those, are those, do those questions make sense? And if so, are they easily answerable? Well, no, <laughs> um, neither one of them are easy to answer, but you know, I'll address the, the, the second one first. So, you know, that is the, the kind of the balance of payments discussion. So, you know, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, they're at the high end of uh, the tax revenues that the federal government collects from individuals. So the you know, citizens of Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, California, they're paying a significant amount in federal taxes. And you compare them, and there's a, you know, several studies about, about this in several different ways of com computing it, but what gets paid back in terms of federal expenditures, uh, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, California, they, the, the taxpayers in those states pay a lot more than they get back from the federal government in terms of expenditures. And if you, and, and that's doubly surprising because if you think about it, that includes defense spending. Mm -hmm. And we have some of the biggest defense contractors sitting in our state with Electric Boat and Groton, uh, United Technologies, now Raytheon and, and, and Hartford. Um, you know, so it, it you know, just kind of illustrates that there's this balance of payments problem. And, you know, that's the debate that the politicians get in. You know, they, you know, they, they who are, and again, I, I don't like the divide in this country between Republican and Democrats, but it's the easiest way to, to explain it. The red states, they will say, hey, we don't want to subsidize uh, the foolish expenditures by the blue states. The blue states, New York, Connecticut, California, will say, hey, we pay more in federal taxes than we get back, and we're actually subsidizing uh, your expenditures. You know, who's right on that argument? I, I you know, I, I have a hard time deciding to, mm -hmm. to, to be entirely frank. They both have some very, very valid valid points. That's why I kind of like to get rid of the whole state and local income tax deduction as a, you know, as a whole and just increase the, um, increase the standard deduction for everybody. Uh, on the flat tax, so that's a little, you know, that's a little bit more difficult uh, to get into. I, I really cannot believe that uh, the U.S. government would ever be able to pass a flat tax. So flat taxes, everybody pays 25%, 28%, 31%, whatever the, the, the percentage is, regardless of their taxable income. So, you know, the first problem becomes, so, you know, somebody that's making $100,000 is paying 
you know, 21 cents on, on a dollar. Somebody that's making a million dollars is paying 21 cents on a dollar under those, you know, kind of regimes. So, you know, is that fair? Should a uh, higher income individual be paying a higher proportion of their income uh, to in taxes to, to fund the government? Uh, so, you know, that's the first argument. And then there's a lot of differentiation between the tax rate on different types of income. And that this is the main difference between uh, a Biden tax proposal and a Trump tax proposal. So the thing I'm talking about primarily is the capital gains rate, the long-term capital gains rate, mm. the rate that an individual taxpayer pays on uh, the sale of their investments that they've held for more than a year. The theory in favor of uh, a preferential long-term capital gains rate is that the investors are taking a risk. They're holding on to an investment for a long period of time. So to tax them at the same rate as wages or interest or you know, self-employment uh, earnings would be unfair and in terms of the the, the holding period, because that income would be old, uh, earned over you know a number of years, and it would reduce the reward for taking a risk. Uh, the other side of uh, the argument is that income is income, and why should long-term capital gains be uh, taxed any different than you know somebody that puts money in an IRA when they're 25 years old and takes it out 40 years later when they're 65 years old. You know, that's still holding that income for a long period of time. Uh, IRA distributions are taxed, at least if you do a traditional IRA, are taxed as ordinary income in full. So there's no, you know, there's no differentiation for the time that you've held it. And, you know, there's an argument made that Somebody putting money in an IRA or a 401k is taking similar risks to somebody that just goes out and buys uh, long-term capital gains type assets of stocks, uh, the, you know, the primary form of long-term capital gains assets. So, you know, th th that becomes the arguments that you have about uh, whether or not a flat tax makes sense. Uh, you're taxing all income the same in theory, and you're taxing every taxpayer at a specified rate. What do you think about the uh, capital gains tax arguments? You know, I think that they have some merit to them, uh, but I also uh, am a great believer that retirement. Maybe it's because I'm, you know, 66 years old, and I'm, you know, thinking about what happens when I start pulling out my, you know, um, money in my 401ks and my IRAs. But I also think that there ought to be some, you know, if you're going to give preferential rates to um, people that long-term capital gains, you ought to give preferential rates to uh, folks that have socked away money in in, in retirement. Retirement plans. Uh, that would help. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and you know, if we're, we're talking about tax planning at this particular point in time, you know, there's a, a, a few things that people ought to be, you know, thinking about. And 
Um, it depends upon where your financial situation is at this particular juncture. And 2020 is, to say the least, a unique year. And that's, you know, I think putting it putting it kindly. Um, if you if you have money, uh, there's a couple of things that are uh, you know are, are opportunities out there. Um, if you happen to have money and you take the standard deduction in prior years, uh, and you haven't taken advantage of a change that was made in the CARES Act that says that um, if you make a charitable contribution in cash to a public charity, you can deduct outside of the itemized deduction world. Uh, $300 per taxpayer. And so that, and this is one area where it's not crystal clear in the law, but that it seems to be that a married couple could make a $600 cash donation to uh, their charity of choice. And even if they uh, take the standard deduction, they would be able to take uh, the benefit for that, mm. uh, that cash payment. Uh, if you have money and you happen to have uh, this happens to be a very low-income year for you. Uh, you might consider, instead of making a traditional uh, contribution to your IRA, uh, you might consider what is known as a Roth contribution. So Roth contributions differ than, from traditional IRAs uh, because uh, the contribution to a Roth IRA and a Roth 401k and, uh, you know, for uh, public employees like us, a Roth for, um, 403b, mm -hmm. 457, you don't get a deduction for the contribution. But the when you withdraw it, when you withdraw the money from your Roth IRA, Roth 401k, it is not subject to tax. Mm-hmm. So you get a completely tax-free buildup in those amounts. Now, I don't know how old either one of you are, but it's particularly beneficial for folks that are on the younger side uh, mm -hmm. because they have that much longer to build up that income tax-free. Mm -hmm. You know, it's on, uh, the the you know the break-even on whether you take the deduction or not is you know what the tax benefit is from taking the deduction. Versus what is the benefit for holding on to that tax-free income for you know a longer period of, of, of time? And the longer you have to build up your investment, the more money you're withdrawing from that that 401k and, and IRA. Right. So, so for students listening, the main message is save money one way <laughs> or the other for your retirement. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is. Um, you know, for, for uh, my generation, so again, I'm 66, that's one of the things that I am, you know, shocked at, that, uh, you know, fellow um, boomers have failed to set aside enough monies for their retirement. I mean, so, you know, Social Security is a nice thing, uh, but it's not, it will never ever uh, be sufficient to maintain any kind of lifestyle uh, as a you know, as a retired person. If that's your only source of income, uh, it's, it's a difficult um, 
you it puts yourself into a difficult situation. Yeah. Is there any uh, is there a comprehensive overall theory about taxation, what it should be doing, how it should benefit residents and citizens of a country? Uh, yeah. Um, again, that's debatable because it's a you know it's a if you take the libertarian point of view, mm. you should have a minimal government. Uh, it should be providing, you know, fire, police, military. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not really studied the libertarian doctrine in terms of what a government should be doing, but you know, that seems to be like it may be education added in into that. Mm-hmm. You know, versus, uh, you know, a more I guess I guess I would call it a fiscal expenditure point of view, which is that you know that ought to be funding a lot of infrastructure type type spending. So the the, the tax theory is that you should be collecting enough tax to fund the government. Mm-hmm. So you know the the theory of taxation becomes one of okay, it's almost a you know a discussion in public finance how much taxes should you collect is driven by what your point of view is on what a government ought to be providing in terms of services to their citizenry. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a, you know, as you know, that's a political, political argument. Right. So everything else with combining all of that, should there be opportunities for people who have millions or billions of dollars to pay no or virtually no income tax in any given year? Well, again, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a political um, situation because, you know, the theory is, is those are the job creators in our, in our oh. economy. Uh, you know, on the other, on the flip side, there's a question of fairness in our in our system so you know you, you you may have read the articles in the new york times about uh donald trump's tax return president trump's uh tax returns and you know his 750 dollars of uh tax payments and i can't i don't remember what his tax refund is that he's in the dispute with the um the irs but i think it's like a couple million, you know, it's a few million dollars. I think it's eighty million dollars that he's. Uh, yeah, I think it's seventy-two million, but yeah, whatever you know, whatever the whatever the uh, um, whatever the amount is. So you know, reading that uh, those articles, you know, it's hard to decide what you know what exactly he did. Here's here's what my takeaways are from uh, his particular situation, and it's you know it's and I'll I'll talk about maybe Amazon and. Jeff Bezos in, in you know in a, in a similar vein. I don't know as if he did anything illegal. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of sense that uh, he did a in terms of uh, avoidance, which is legal. You can legally avoid as many you know as much taxes as you want. There's no patriotic duty to pay more taxes than uh, you're required to do. So that's um, you know tax avoidance and tax evasion, which is illegal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where you, you do things that are uh, not legal. I don't think 
uh, his situation is a situation of tax evasion by you know any stretch of the imagination. But he did push the envelope in terms of uh, tax deductions. I, I think you know particularly some of the you know personal expenditures that were hmm. you know deducted by him, and you know that's a you know anybody that's in the entertainment industry. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a hard, you know, there's a hard determination of where the boundary between personal expenditures and, uh, business or, you know, employment expenditures, uh, you know, are because there's so many things as a personality, as a performer, as a musician, as a reality TV star, uh, that, kind of segues into, uh, you know, your personal expenditures, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that if you, if you want to have a good read about that, there's a, uh, the IRS publishes it's, it's, uh, audit steps and there's, a a publication about how they audit performers. And it's, it's, a, you know, it's a fascinating reading about, you know, kind of where the gray line is and with respect to that. So he might've pushed the envelope with his $70,000, Haircuts. Mm-hmm. Um, he might have pushed the envelope with uh, payments to family members in terms of, uh, you know, payments to. I think Ivanka got a consulting, mm-hmm. uh, consulting payment. Uh, again, that's you know, it, it's a matter of uh, you know the the criteria tax law criteria is is the expenditure ordinary. So is it something that happens in 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 your business world? Is it necessary? Was it something that uh, the taxpayer needed to do in order to earn income? And is it in reasonable in amount? Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, you know whether those things are there. I you know I don't know. Uh, he he did, and and the the tax code is full of whether or not you want to call them loopholes or preferences to certain types of activities. Uh, that depends upon you know what, what rhetoric you want to use, but mm-hmm. he took advantage of uh, provisions in the tax law that are in favor of real estate investments, and you know the, he also uh, you know the whole law situation. Yeah. People, people can, you know, depreciation, you know, that's a real, that's a real thing in terms of you spend money on a building and that building has a specific useful life. Mm -hmm. Um, And you, you know, he, he borrowed money to build, you know, to purchase those buildings. If, you know, if that's how he generated his losses, you know, those at some point in time, you've got to pay that mortgage. Uh, or you got to sell that building and depreciation reduces the what they call basis, the cost that, uh, you use when you compare the selling price to, um, you know, to the basis in the building to to the cost reduced by depreciation. So, at, you know, at some point in time, in theory, um, you, you're going to pay the piper, you're going to pay the tax. Mm-hmm. The thing with, you know, real estate primarily is you can do these things called like-kind exchanges. So you have a, you know, a casino in Atlantic City and a casino in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. You know, somebody else has a casino in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, 
and you exchange the two of them. That's a, you know, if there's no cash involved or no what is referred to in tax law as boot, there's nothing other than the real estate, that's a tax-free exchange. It, you you defer the tax on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, additionally, and this is, you know, one of my favorite topics, which is the estate tax. Additionally, the, you know, the best tax planning in the world is to hold an asset until you die. And you get a step up in basis when you pass your heirs get a step up in basis. Mm-hmm. When you pass on property at death, regardless of what you what the uh, deceased person paid for it, the people that inherit the property get a fair market value basis. They step up the basis in it. So that's all. You know, that's the driver behind a lot of the proposals to. Uh, either increase the estate tax or have that step up in basis uh, go away or the step up in basis tax at capital gains rates. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. It could ha- it's interesting when you're trying to sell your parents' house, say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because, you, you, know, you know, I don't know how long your parents stayed in it, but, you know, they 20, 30, 40 years is not, you know, not unusual. Uh, and that house is, a, you know, if, if the house, the building itself hasn't appreciated, the land it land has. Right. Um, and so you've got, you know, there's a, you know, there's a gain. Uh, there's a gain involved with that. Mm-hmm. So if they, if they, if you receive that house as a gift during their lifetime, you have their basis. If they're selling it while they're still alive, it's their basis. If they have passed on and they ha- and you have inherited the property, your basis in that property, what you compare the selling price to, is the fair market value at the date of their death. Mm-hmm. So. so it proves that taxes, even though most of us might not think of them and think of them very perfunctorily once a year, or for several weeks in a year, um, it affects all of us in a very real way. It's not just signing a check off to the government or getting a refund. It could affect your lifestyle at certain points in everybody's life. Right, right. And that's where the fairness comes in, right? Why people uh, are getting exercised about... um, President Trump paying $750 right. uh, in his federal taxes. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, I, so you asked, like, what's the, you know, general criteria of tax law? So, so um, you know, generating enough revenue to finance the government, which mm-hmm. as a sidebar, we haven't done. <laughs> the U.S. government, Connecticut, has, hasn't done a very good job, in the, particularly in the most recent years, but hasn't done a good job of collecting revenues that they need to spend. They're, you know, they're continually creating a deficit. Mm-hmm. Uh, second of all, it should be easy. It shouldn't be a burden on the taxpayers. It shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't cost money to comply with the tax law or, you know, significant amount of money to uh, comply with the, the, the tax law. law. Uh, the tax law ought to be in a situation where 
the taxes imposed when you have the wherewithal, when the taxpayer has the wherewithal to pay. You know, that's the theory behind uh, withholding from people's paychecks rather than waiting until April 15th to have them pay you know, all the taxes that they, uh, that they owe. And the, the fourth pillar is uh, equity. And that's whenever you read, so the AICPA, I'm a CPA, the, Ameri uh, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, they have a, you know, they have a, you know, what would be the best tax policy? And they talk about uh, fairness and, and equity. And they talk about equity that, you know, two taxpayers in the same situation should be paying the same amount of tax. Mm -hmm. And those that can afford to pay more tax should be paying uh, more tax. The, um, the situation in the United States is, is one that, you'll, you know, the, the wealthier individuals, the you know, higher income folks in the United States uh, pay, uh, you know, a lesser rate. There's a, this goes back a few years, um, but there's a, a famous situation involving Warren Buffett. Uh, where he made a statement uh, that he his effective tax rate, Warren Buffett, multimillionaire, mm -hmm. you know, Berkshire Hathaway, maybe billionaire, his effective tax rate is less than his secretary's effective tax rate. Which and, should not be. It's just like yeah. common sense. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. And, and why is that? Well, uh, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one is uh, he has a lot of capital gains, long-term capital gains. This is generating income. So he's, he's, his income, you know, right now the top federal tax rate for uh, ordinary income, so wages, interest is 37%. The top rate for long-term capital gains is 23.8%. And so there's um, you know, roughly a 14%. Uh, savings there, mm -hmm. effective tax rate. The second uh, reason for it is it has to do with uh, payroll tax, social security, uh, so social security taxes. So, um, and mm -hmm. I always get this this number a little bit wrong, but um, the tax rate, the social security tax. If you look at your paycheck, um, you're you are paying seven point six five percent of your gross pay and social security taxes. Somebody that's self-employed is actually paying 15.3%. Mm. Um, that's actually two taxes. One is the OASDI, which funds the no norm normal social security benefits. OASDI stands for Old Age and Survivor Disability Income. So that's, that's one part of the social security tax. That's at a rate of 6.2%, 12.4 if you're self-employed, 6.2%. And that caps out, and again, I don't remember the exact number, but roughly $130,000 of, of wages. Mm -hmm. The other part, the 1.45 is uncapped. So you know, if you earn a billion dollars in wages, you're still paying 1.45%. So his secretary was paying you know, fundamentally 6.2% on her $130,000 of income, I'm sorry, 7.65% on her $130,000 of income. And Warren was paying a lot less than that because he had far exceeded the $130,000. So, right. you know, those two components, uh, 
you know, impact the effective tax rate. And again, mm -hmm. just in terms of um, uh, Trump versus Biden. No, I, you know, I've always talked about Biden's um, tax proposals because his is published. Uh, mm -hmm. The Republicans, they just said, hey, we're going to use what we used uh, four years ago. So it's like a lot less clear. Um, but if you, you, you may remember that Trump um, signed an executive order that, which he can do, that allowed for the deferral, not the uh, exclusion, the deferral of Social Security taxes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that deferral meant that instead of paying it now, you could pay it in January. Okay. So he, but at the time he signed it, he also made the statement that his ultimate goal was to do away with that, you know, that 6.2%, mm -hmm. which is what funds Social Security. So the people that object to that particular proposal say, hey, uh, you're going to bankrupt the Social Security system even before it's expected to bank bankrupt and there are you know, under our uh, current regime, but on the flip side, it will make you know the the taxes a little bit fairer for the for the um, for the middle class. Biden takes a different approach. Uh, any wage earner making more than four hundred thousand dollars goes back and starts paying that six point two percent on every um, you know all wages that are above six point two percent. Oh, so you know he's trying to. There's two approaches to dealing with the fact that, you know, Social Security taxes are, it's a regressive tax, uh -huh. you know, and it's based on, you know, the theory that you're paying into the system so that you're, you know, there's a cap on their benefit that you can get. I don't remember what it is exactly, but I think it's around $28,000 right now per year if you retire at normal retirement yeah. age, $28,000, $30,000, something like that. Um so, you know, it's, it's supposed to relate to, you know, the, the, the tax is supposed to relate to the um, to the benefit. So that's the theory behind it. Right. That's very interesting. And um, so there could be some changes in the tax codes, maybe not after this election, but after some federal election. And uh, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it depends upon, you know, who, who you know, Congress passes the laws. Mm -hmm. uh, so it depends, you know, to a great extent on, you know, who controls, who controls Congress. Right. Which goes yeah. back to what you said about the, uh, the politicians, the judicial system. Uh, yeah, and the IRS, administrative system. Yeah. Right, right. All have a hand in how, but no wonder it's so complicated. Right. Hmm. All right, Pete and I are going to sign up for your taxation class now. We're very interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the students, you know, they have a different, you know, diff totally uh, different um, reason for taking the class. I think, you know, some of them find it interesting that, uh, you know, the, the different way the tax system operates and, the, you know, they never real, they, you know, uh, many people, uh, walk away with a misconception that it's the Internal Revenue Service that's generating the tax laws, when in fact, you know, it starts with Congress and uh, the IRS is administering them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when there's a dispute between a taxpayer and the IRS, uh, the judicial branch 
all the way up to the Supreme Court, you know, uh, adjudicates those those disputes because mm-hmm. the tax laws are written, uh, you know, in a general fashion. Uh, you know, they incorporate, you know, 80 percent of the transactions usually. Uh, but it's that, you know, 20 percent uh, that, uh, you know, are unclear. And, you know, as you know, the business world keeps evolving so that uh, it any tax law, any interpretation that the Internal Revenue Service puts out, uh, you know, can, can be outdone by you know some innovation in the in, you know in the business world. Mm-hmm. And your students, many of them, will be involved in helping business people uh, interpret the interpretations, I guess, and also in figuring out how to run their business, helping the yeah. business people run the business. Absolutely. We, we, I try to incorporate, uh, you know, some tax planning into the course. So, you know, given the, give the students the, the concept, you know, and I think I hopefully I've conveyed that in this conversation mm-hmm. that taxes impact everything mm-hmm. and, you know, you've got to be tax savvy, uh, you know, when you're making a business decision, it's, it's not, you're not operating in an environment where taxes don't have uh, have an impact. So, planning and understanding what the impact of, of taxes uh, on a specific type of transaction are, you know, important in the in the business world. Hmm. Well, Professor Skiba, thanks so much for being with us and giving us this great explanation, very clear and understandable about. Mm, a little bit anyway of what's going on with federal taxes and the system right now. Uh, you've cleared up a lot of things for me. Okay, thank you, thank you. It was my pleasure being here. We'll have you come on and talk about Social Security when that blows up too. Okay? <laughs> or, or you know, or you know, closer to the fifteenth of April. Right. Good. We're always looking for guests, so we'll bring you on then. All righty. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right, take care. You guys have a good day. Thank you. So that was a good uh, little primer on taxation that I usually don't think about, right? Did you learn anything, Pete? Yeah, it was interesting. And then, you know, you and I kind of talked off air about this a little bit. Um, But taxes are so strange because you're either... Like like when you're when you're younger, you don't have any idea how they work. You just kind of you have your parents help you with it or whatever. So they're either not a problem at all or they're a total nightmare. And for years, mine were a total nightmare. I had all kinds of strange income, and it was it was awful. And I hated tax season. And now it's just kind of back to normal, and I don't really think about it too much. But I feel like they are the they're tough for people on the extremes at the ends of the spectrum. You know, they're if you're if you're like like Gary was saying, if you're if you're rich and trying to finagle things and do, you know, capital gains and real estate loophole and all that stuff, then there's something. And if you're, you know, struggling to get by and, and, and that little bit makes a big difference, they can be a big thing. But I think for most people in the middle, they're just kind of something you have to do once a year and people don't think about it. Yeah. And send off the check sometimes. Yeah. When you get one back, it's good. When you send it off, it's uh, lousy. Slightly less good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lousy. I love the word lousy. We should use lousy more often. Yes. We could uh, change the name of the pot or something. There you go. <laughs>
<laughs> the lousy podcast at WCSU. That's not good. No. That was lousy. <laughs> so are we going to talk about a little bit about what's coming up in the next week, right? Yeah, we should. Uh, as always, Coffee House is on Thursday at the Midtown Rec Field under the tent, under and around the tent. Uh, so check that out. The Walter Kramer tent. Yeah, the <laughs> not Memorial, but... Uh, <laughs> And then uh, there's a, I know a lot of you guys aren't here on campus right now, but there's a farmer's market on the 16th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Railway Museum, which is right down the street. If you are, if you are on campus or if you're in the area, um, farmer's markets are always fun. I understand it's a really good farmer's market, actually. Oh, cool. And this is a time of year you stock up on your root vegetables. Make sure you have your carrots and potatoes. Are you, big in, are you big into canning, Paul? Do you do a lot of uh, preservation? I uh, actually, for a couple, of, for the previous couple of years, I grew tomatoes and canned them. Oh, beautiful! And they are good when you open <laughs> them up in the middle of the winter. Yeah, they taste very fresh. But I don't can anything else. How about you? No, I've never canned. My wife's always talking about it, but we haven't. Uh, we haven't gotten into it. Can't, root vegetables, you don't need to can. They, you just put them down in the root cellar, and you uh, they're good all winter long. Do you have a root cellar? I don't. Oh. If you're in the dorm, you put them under your bed. That's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's probably enough of us babbling about uh, I think so, yes. events. We'll have some more in the next episode of Stuff Upcoming. So. Stuff Upcoming. That's a good uh, little tagline. <laughs> Okay, a uh, few more. There's, there's going to be a drive-in movie on October 16th at 8 p.m. at the Westside Rec Field. Uh, they're showing Hocus Pocus at 8 p.m. It's open to WCSU students only. And follow the PAC Instagram page, at WCSU underscore PAC, for more details. Hocus Pocus is one of my favorite movies, Halloween movies anyway. That works. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the last thing I saw was the deadline to submit your mascot ideas is quickly approaching October 18th at, it says 12 a.m., but I'm not sure. So if you're, if you're interested in submitting mascot ideas, get on that because at some point on Sunday, October 18th, uh, that window will close. Yeah, better to turn them in on Saturday. Yeah. I hope we have a lot of good ideas for that. That aren't offensive or um, stupid. <laughs> yes, I hope so, too. <laughs> we'll see. I guess we'll have, uh, we'll do a pod on that when it happens. Maybe they'll announce it here first. That'd be nice. Exclusive. That would be great. Uh, As opposed to what? I said exclusive. Exclusive, right. We are the number one podcast at Western Connecticut State University. It's a true story. Yeah. Don't tell any of the other podcasts <laughs> I said that. <laughs> All right. Are we good here? Oh, that'll do it. Yeah. And then. Some. All right. So uh, for Pete Puccio, I'm Paul Steinmetz, and this is at WCSU. We'll hear you next week. Or maybe we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> that works. <laughs> All right. See you. Thanks. At WCSU is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Volpe. 
Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at WCSU Media and on the university's Facebook and Twitter pages. And feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at wcsu.edu. Thanks for listening. Thank you.